And last time we preached, we preached about the demoniac. Now, the demoniac was someone who lived in the graveyard. Now, you think about the most lowest threshold of society. You think of someone living in the gutter. Well, even beyond the gutter, this guy didn't even live in the gutter. He lived in the graveyard with dead people. And Jesus went his way one day. Jesus went by that old cemetery. You think it was by chance that he went by that cemetery that day? No, he went by that cemetery that day because he knew who was in that cemetery. He knew that there was a man who was possessed not by one demon, but by many demons. Jesus sought out to impact that individual for eternity. A man who was hopeless, a man who cut himself, a man who screamed out in agony because of his hopelessness. Jesus made a difference in his life. Jesus intersected his life. Well, today, in part two, we're going to talk about another individual that Jesus impacted, and that's the woman of Samaria. And you guys can go ahead and begin to turn your Bibles to John chapter 4. We're going to read that here in just a moment. But I wanted to talk about impacting individuals because sometimes it becomes very overwhelming if we look at the world as a whole and we say, wow, look how much pain is worldwide. Look how much pain is even in Candler with 27,000 people. How in the world can we reach 27,000 people? You know what I say? I say, let's do it like Jesus did it. Let's start with just one person. Let's impact individuals. God's going to lay people on your heart, and he's going to want you to go to them. Now, a lot of times we get in our mind, well, if that person says no, I'll just go to somebody else. And yes, there is a time where we have to count our losses and go to the next person because this person may not accept Christ. But don't do it easily. Don't give up on people easily. Hey, listen, if Jesus can save a man who was possessed by what some believe thousands of demons, Jesus can save the meanest person in your life. The one on your street that always complains about your dog barking. The one on your street that always complains that your yard's not manicured to their standard. Did you know Jesus can save them? He really can. And let me tell you what. He's put you in their neighborhood to make a difference in their lives. You've got to love people. We've got to love people. And just like Jesus impacted individuals, we should impact individuals. I want to share with you a story that I once heard of a missionary in Thailand. He ministered to those who were in leper colonies. Now, here in the United States, we don't really understand what a leper colony is because of our advances in science and healthcare and medicine. But in third world countries, there are still people who suffer from leprosy. And in Thailand and other Far East countries, there are entire colonies of people who are lepers. Now, this missionary was going to minister to lepers, and he found a particular leper that God had called him to, a gentleman. And as this missionary shared the gospel with this leper, the leper was very obstinate in that he did not want to hear the gospel. He didn't want to hear anything anyone had to say. He was a very, very bitter man. And the missionary didn't give up, though. The missionary continued to minister and to go this man's way and talk to him. And eventually, the leper, probably as a test, or maybe as a way to get rid of the missionary, invited the missionary to come to his place where he lived. Now, again, lepers 
don't have houses. Lepers live in garbage dumps. Lepers live in shacks. Lepers live under tarps that they've created just enough to keep the rain off of them. And he said, all right, I'm going to fix this missionary. I'm going to see if he's the real deal. I want you to come to my house. The, the leper honestly didn't think that the man would even come, honestly. He thought that would scare him off. But guess what? He did. He said, all right, I'll come to your house. So while he was there with the leper, the leper began to make the missionary food. Now, I don't know if you know much about lepers, but what happens is, is the nerves in the extremities begin to deaden with leprosy. And what happens is, is as someone goes throughout their day working, they begin to injure their extremities because they have no pain in their extremities. So they could smash their finger, or they could break their toe, or they could twist their ankle and not know it, and then continue to walk and continue to use that extremity just like nothing was wrong with it, eventually causing it to be infected and eventually losing that limb, that, uh, that finger, that toe, that foot, that hand, or whatever it may be. So as this leper is making this man food, he's using basically what he has left of his arms, his nubs, and he's rolling this food together in his nubs, making it for this missionary. And this missionary is watching him do this. Now, albeit there is no sanitation, there is no cleanliness at all to what's going on here. I mean, this, the same nubs that this man's making his food with are the same nubs that he crawls around on the ground to get around all the time. But you know what? The Holy Spirit was with that missionary. And the missionary said the power of God gave him the power to look on this leper with love at that moment. And after the leper finished the meal, he gave some to the missionary, again, fully expecting him to reject it. But instead, the Holy Spirit empowered the missionary to eat the food without getting sick or showing any signs of disgust. So then the leper asked the missionary after the meal to stay the night with him. The missionary agreed. The next morning, the leper had great tears in his eyes. The missionary asked him, what's wrong? And the leper told him that no one had ever shown him such great love as to eat and stay with him in his condition. He told the missionary that he wanted the Jesus that he had been sharing with him earlier. Isn't that amazing? Isn't it amazing what God can do when we go where people are? When we're willing to sympathize with their conditions and their struggles and their needs, and we're willing to share the truth with them? So today, as we think about the woman at the well, and as we read here just a moment about her story in Scripture, I want us to see three different actions that Jesus took that impacted the Samaritan woman. So if you will, please stand to your feet. We're going to begin in John chapter 4, verse 1. And we're going to read the whole story because this is a story that we don't want to cut corners on. Beautiful example of Christ's love. Starting in verse 1 of chapter 4, when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard he was making and baptizing more disciples than John, though Jesus himself was not baptizing but his disciples were, he left Judea and went again to Galilee. He had to travel through Samaria. Now, I want that to stick out in your mind. He had to travel through Samaria. So he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar near the property that Jacob had given his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, worn out from his journey, sat down at the well. It was about noon. A woman of Samaria came to draw water. Give me a drink, Jesus said to her, because his disciples had gone into town to buy food. 
How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a Samaritan woman? She asked him, for Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered, if you knew the gift of God and who is saying to you, give me a drink, you would ask him and he would give you living water. Sir, said the woman, you don't even have a bucket and the well is deep, so where do you get this living water? You aren't greater than our father Jacob, are you? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and livestock. Jesus said, everyone who drinks from this water will get thirsty again. But whoever drinks from the water that I will give him will never get thirsty again. In fact, the water I will give him will become a well of water springing up in him for eternal life. Sir, the woman said to him, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and come here to draw water. Go call your husband, he told her, and come back here. I don't have a husband, she answered. You have correctly said, I don't have a husband, Jesus said, for you've had five husbands and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. Sir, the woman replied, I see that you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshiped on this mountain, but you Jews say that the place to worship is in Jerusalem. Jesus told her, believe me, woman, an hour is coming when you will worship the Father and either on this mountain or in Jerusalem, you Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, because salvation is from the Jews. But an hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. Yes, the Father wants such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. The woman said to him, I know that the Messiah is coming, who is called Christ. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Jesus told her, I, the one speaking to you, am he. Just then his disciples arrived, and they were amazed that he was talking with a woman. Yet no one said, what do you want, or why are you talking with her? Then the woman left her water jar, went into town, and told the people, Come, see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? They left the town and made their way to him. In the meantime, the disciples kept urging him, Rabbi, eat something. But he said, I have food to eat that you do not know about. The disciples said to one another, could someone have brought him something to eat? He said, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Don't you say there are still four more months and then comes the harvest? Listen to what I'm telling you. Open your eyes and look at the fields because they are ready for harvest. The reaper is already receiving pay and gathering fruit for eternal life so that the sower and reaper can rejoice together. For in this case, the saying is true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap what you didn't labor for. Others have labored, and you have benefited from their labor. Now many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of what the woman said when she testified. He told me everything I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them, and he stayed there two days. Many more believed because of what he said. And they told the woman, We no longer believe because of what you said, since we have heard for ourselves and know that this really is the Savior of the world. Let's pray. God, thank you for the woman at the well. Thank you, God, that this historical event was recorded in Scripture by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, we ask you to be in our service in a special way. I know that you've already been moving in hearts and in lives. And Lord, as I think about all who are here, Lord, I don't want to be naive as to think there might not be one person here today who doesn't know you as their Savior. Maybe they're just coming to see what church is all about. Maybe someone invited them. Maybe they're just exploring. 
Today, God, I pray that you would reveal to them that the only way to heaven is through Jesus, that the only way that their sins can be forgiven is by accepting you based upon what you did for us on the cross, your death, burial, and resurrection. We pray for salvation in our midst. We pray, God, that you would mature us as believers, and I pray, God, that you would motivate us to impact Candler with the gospel. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. So the first action that Jesus took that impacted the Samaritan woman was he went where she was. So if you're taking notes, write that down. Jesus went where she was. Now, this is a very interesting idea, and you really have to know the culture and the animosity between the Samaritans and the Jews to really appreciate what Jesus did here. Beginning in verse 3, it says this, He left Judea and went again to Galilee. Now, if you look at a map of Israel in New Testament times, you're going to find that Judea is in the south part of Israel and that Galilee is in the north part of Israel. And that Samaria, a small town there, is in the middle of Israel. And the natural route, if anyone, any of you like to travel a lot, you always want to get there usually as quickly as possible, right? So you're going to have two or three different routes on your GPS, and you're always going to pick the fastest one, or at least most of the time we do. Well, the fastest route from Judea to Galilee would have been right through the center of Samaria. It would have been going through Samaria and up into Galilee. Here's the thing, the Jews never went through Samaria. They hated the Samaritans so much that they didn't even want to step foot in their village and in their city. And what the Jews would do is they would take the long way around Samaria. They, they, they would add days to their trip just so they didn't have to go around or near the Samaritans. But did you hear what Jesus said there in verse 4? He said he had to travel through Samaria. Wow. A Jew, a Jew who was a teacher and even a rabbi, considered a great teacher, considered someone who had many followers, he's going to go through Samaria? Now, the Jews thought so uh, negatively about this that they believed that if they were to go into Samaria among the Samaritans, that they would become ritually unclean. That's how much they despised the people of Samaria. You may say, well, Ben, who are the Samaritans? Well, the Samaritans actually have Jewish blood in their veins. They are what the Jews would have considered an impure race of people. They would have looked at the Samaritans and said, yeah, you've got some Jewish ancestry, but you've also got Assyrian ancestry. Because back in 722 BC, the northern kingdom of Israel was conquered by the Assyrian Empire. And when that happened, the Jews began, the northern uh, kingdom Jews began to intermarry with the Assyrians, and that's what created the people group known as the Samaritans. I found it interesting, but there are still hundreds of Samaritans living in Israel today, still practicing the ancient religion of the Samaritans, which is a version of Judaism, but they have their own idea of the Torah, which is the Old Testament. But Jesus said, I'm not going to go to Galilee like most Jews, or I'm not even going to go to Galilee like all the Jews. I'm going to Ga I'm gonna go to Galilee through Samaria. Now, God is omniscient. Jesus is God. Therefore, nothing takes Jesus by surprise. Therefore, Jesus had a purpose and a plan for why he wanted to go and indeed had to go through Samaria. We see there in verse 5, it says, So he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar near the property that Jacob had given his son. 
even a specific property within Samaria. It says Jacob's well was there, even a specific well within a specific property within Samaria. And it says Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, worn out from his journey, sat down at the well. It was about noon. Wow. You know what Jesus knew that maybe the disciples didn't know? That there was a woman that was going to be by that well that day. A woman who needed hope. A woman who needed someone to go where she was. To go her way. To go by there and say, hey, I love you and I care about you. Jesus had to go through Samaria. The second thing, the second action that Jesus took, not only did he go where she was, but he spoke to her needs. So if you're taking notes, write that down. He spoke to her needs. Now, I want us to realize that if we're going to impact our community, again, just like Jesus went to the well where the woman was, knowing that she would be there that day at that particular time, he understood exactly what she needed, and he went there even if it was an inconvenience even if it was something he would have been ridiculed for by other Jews, even if it was something that he would have had to answer for later, he didn't care. All he knew was there was a woman in Samaria that needed to be saved. But you know what? He didn't just go to where she was. Because when he got there and he encountered her, he spoke to her needs. Let's look in verse 7 there. It says, About noon, in verse 6, a woman of Samaria, verse 7, came to draw water. Give me a drink, Jesus said to her, because his disciples had gone into town to buy food. And then she was like, what is this? How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a Samaritan? It blew her mind. And not only a Samaritan, but a woman. Because men would never speak to women who were not their wives in public. That was just never happened. It was even something that would have been taboo and even disrespectful. She asked him, Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her this, If you knew the gift of God and who is saying to you, give me a drink, you would ask him and he would give you living water. Now let's think about what the woman of Samaria was doing that day. It was about noon. Well, noon in that part of the world would have been the hottest part of the day. She was going to collect water in the most hot part of the day in a place that's a desert. Where... No one else was going to get water at that time. Most other women would have gone earlier in the day, before the heat came out. But there was something going on there why she felt like she couldn't get water the same time as the rest of the women in the community. Now think about this. This was when the women of the community could come and fellowship. This is when they would come together in the morning when they were drawing water at the well. They were standing in line waiting for their turn. They were able to ask each other about each other's children, ask about each other's families. They were able to catch up. They were able to check in with each other. And this woman of Samaria didn't have that. She would go by herself in the hottest part of the day. We know that she had to have water. We all have to have water. Water is necessary for life. But not only did she not have water, but she didn't have fellowship. She didn't have a community of people who loved her and who were coming around her. We're going to find out later why she went at the well that time of day. But what we need to understand here is that Jesus uses an analogy to speak to her spiritual need, but he uses her physical need to explain it to her. Because right here he begins to talk about water. And he says, give me a drink. And then he finishes up with living water. 
Now, this woman would have been shocked at this idea of living water. I mean, he even goes on to say that this kind of water will cause you to never thirst again. And he begins to talk about this water, and I could just imagine that her eyes were gleaming with, I have got to get my hands on this water. Because think about in our lives today, if I want to drink a water, you know what I do? I go to my sink, I turn on the faucet, and I get water. And it's clean, and it's ready to drink. But her, every single day, she would have to carry that bucket all the way to the well. She'd have to get that water and carry it all the way back. Can you imagine the monotony of that? Every single day, she was tired of just status quo. She was tired of what the world was offering her just with what she could see. Could you imagine the hopelessness in her heart? No friends and having to do this every single day in the hottest part of the day. Jesus begins to tell her about water that would cause her to never thirst again. Did you hear what her reaction was in verse 15? After he explained about this water, and, and she didn't fully understand it. Don't get me wrong. She didn't fully understand what he was talking about at this point. All she knew is she wanted the water. In verse 15, Sir, the woman said to him, Give me this water so that I won't get thirsty. Number one, you've got to have it to live. And number two, and come here to draw water. I'm tired of walking to this well every single day. I'm tired of being thirsty. I'm tired of not having hope. Jesus was telling her about a water that would not only quench her physically, but would quench her spiritually. A water that would cause her to never thirst again. He spoke to her needs. A couple years ago, I went on a mission trip to Mozambique. And in those Central African and Southern African countries, and really a large part of the continent of Africa, the, the biggest issue is water. And communities that don't have access to clean water are communities that suffer from high death rates. Who um, very, very few children survive to adulthood because the cleanliness of the water just isn't there. Some of them are getting water out of shallow hand-dug wells. Some of them are getting water out of streams and creeks that have sewage in, in them. And, and that's the, the, the normality of what they suffer. And I was able to go to a village in Mozambique that a missionary organization had just dug them a brand new well, a well that was producing good, clean water. And I'm telling you, everything in the community was centered around that well. I mean, you think about in, our, in America, you know, especially back in the old days, everything was centered around the church. You know, you had your community events at the church, you had your town halls at the church, you had your family uh, functions at the church, you had your fun, everything happened at the church. Well, in Africa, everything happens around the well because the well is the central source of their survival. They love the well. They need the well. They need the water that the well gives. The well ensures that their children are not going to die when they're four and five years old because of bacteria. That's how important the well was to them. And see, Jesus understood that the analogy of life-giving water is very similar to the life-giving spirit that we can have through Jesus Christ. That just like someone who is thirsty and parched and dehydrated cannot function and will eventually die, a person without hope and a person without God will eventually shrivel up and die just the same. And Jesus came her way and said, hey, I know what your needs are. I know that you're tired of coming to this well every day. And I'm telling you what I'm going to do. I'm going to give you some water that you don't have to come to the well anymore. 
I'm going to give you some water where you'll be so spiritually fulfilled and satisfied that you'll have hope and you'll have value and you'll have a renewed life. And that's what Jesus did. He spoke to her needs. Now listen, if that's all we did, if all we did was go to where people are and if all we did was speak to their needs and then we stopped, you know what we'd be doing? We'd just be kind of fattening them up for the slaughter. We'd be saying, listen, I'm going to keep you clothed. I'm going to keep you sheltered. I'm going to make sure you're fed. But you know what? When you die, you're going to split hell wide open. So there you go. Why would we do that? Why would we care more about the physical than we do the spiritual? Hey, listen, when you speak to someone's needs, you touch a part of their heart that makes a difference. Because you're not just somebody with this religious idea or understanding that you're trying to share with them. You're not just uh, trying to, uh, be a, uh, to proselytize them or something like that. But when they see that you care about their needs and you sympathize with their struggles and you empathize with them and hurt with them, it does something in the human brain that is unexplainable. It, it produces a connection between two people that begins to earn trust begins to form a bond and a connection where now, guess what? I would not have listened to you before. You're a Jew, your, your people hate me, your people despise us, your people marginalize us. I would have never have listened to this man, but yet he cares about the fact that I have to walk to this well every day. He cares about the fact that I get thirsty. Okay, I'm gonna listen now. That's our third action that we see. He told her the truth. If you're taking notes, write that down. He told her the truth. Not only did he go where she was, not only did he speak to her needs, but after doing those two things, he told her the truth. Look at verse 16 there. Jesus begins to talk to her. He says, go call your husband. He told her and come back here. Now, Jesus was not fooled here. Don't get me wrong, but he was looking for a confession. I don't have a husband, she answered. You have correctly said, I don't have a husband, Jesus said, for you've had five husbands and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. Sir, now listen, at this point in today's society, you're like, okay, I'm gonna brace for this because I'm about to get chewed out. I just called out somebody's sin and they're not gonna take this well, right? That, that's what we would brace for, right? In this particular situation with the, the, the struggle and the conflict between these two people groups and all the past and the history, you think, okay, Jesus just called her out on her sin and her pattern of sin in her lifestyle. She's going to hit the roof. Well, she answers a little bit differently here. And she says in verse 19, sir, I see that you're a prophet. Our ancestors worshiped on this mountain, but you Jews say that the place to worship is in Jerusalem. Jesus told her, believe me, woman, an hour is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know because salvation is from the Jews. But an hour is coming and is now here when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. Yes, the Father wants such people to worship him. God is spirit and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. Now it's like, okay, for sure she's going to hit the roof. Because not only has he called her out on her sin and her lifestyle, but now he's telling her that her religion is false. Now he's saying that you believe the wrong thing. Now he's what would be a, a today, in today's society, it would appear as though he was attacking her religion and her tradition and her history. Surely she's going to be angry, right? 
We go on down and it says in verse 25, the woman said to him, I know that the Messiah is coming who is called Christ. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Doesn't sound like she's too angry, does it? Verse 26, Jesus told her, I, the one speaking to you, am he. See, here's what happened. Jesus, number one, he went where she was. You think anybody had ever done that for her before? Hey, uh, woman of Samaria, uh, let's meet and let's talk about this business idea I have. Well, you know, I go to the well every day at noon. Would you care to meet me at the well at noon tomorrow and we can discuss this? Are you kidding me? I'm not going to the well at noon. You know how hot it is outside? Nobody would have ever done that for her. She was somebody who had a history of sin in her life. She would have been ridiculed in her community. The, the women who would have gone earlier in the morning, if she had gone when they went, you know what they would have done? Gossip, abuse her verbally, look down on her. Can you believe she's had five husbands? Can you believe she's living with that guy? It's over and over and over. She probably got tired of that, and that's why she started going at noon. But here you have a teacher, a Jew, someone of status, sitting there waiting for her when she comes to draw water. He came her way. And not only did he come her way, but he said, you know what? I hurt with you. I know your pain. I, I feel your pain. I know that you're suffering. I know that you need hope. I know that you need love. I know that you need more than what you have. And then guess what? He earned the right to speak the truth to her at that point. She realized at that point, this is not like everyone else. This man is different. This man actually does care about me. This man actually is willing to do what it takes to try to help me and to try to love me. And at that moment, he earned the right. Now, Jesus doesn't have to earn anything, by the way. He's God. But what he's doing is he's showing us an example of how we need to be treating others and how we need to be earning a right to speak into people's lives. Because, listen, if you go up to somebody and the only time they hear from you is when you're calling them out on their sin, guess what? It's not going to do any good. They're going to say, you know what, you're so judgmental. Their dad may have been in the hospital the week before dying of cancer. You didn't care nothing about them then, but you want to call them out on their sin whenever you see them. That's not how you reach people. You're able to tell them the truth when you've earned the right to tell them the truth. And that's why Impact Candler is so important because I'm not asking you to give me the addresses of your neighbors so I can go and win them to Jesus. Although if God gave me the opportunity, I would be happy to do that. But Impact Candler is prompting and motivating you to win your neighbors to Jesus. You're the one that has the ability to know what their needs are. You're the one that has the ability to know who their children are to speak into their lives, to love on them when they're in need. When they go out of town on vacation, you're able to watch their home for them and take care of their place for them. You're able to show them love each and every day, and now you've earned the right to speak truth into their lives. And that's exactly what Jesus is modeling for us here today. The woman of Samaria wasn't angry. She wasn't mad. She wasn't offended. Boy, I'll tell you what she was. She was thankful. Praise God, I have hope. I've met the one who has the living water. And you know what? That's how we reach a lost and a dying world, by the way. And that's why Feed the Hunger is so important. Feed the Hunger is coming up this weekend. We've got a session on Friday and Saturday. And let me tell you about Feed the Hunger. Feed the Hunger is not something that just feeds people's bellies. 
But everyone who gets food from Feed the Hunger, the gospel is shared with them. Did you know that? And here's the thing. We can pack as much food as we have people and money to pack. Hey, did you know that you can buy food and pack food for, for a lost family or a lost person in Africa this weekend here in Candler, North Carolina? Hey, that's why at Pole Creek, we don't support humanitarian organizations. We don't support organizations that just feed the hungry or, or, or shelter the homeless. We don't do that. We partner with organizations that feed the hungry and shelter the homeless and always share the gospel with them. Always attach the physical need with the spiritual need. Did you see what Jesus did? He did the same thing. This is Jesus' model. We're not trying to reinvent the wheel. We're doing exactly what Christ has called us to do. And I'm asking you, if you've not signed up, maybe you say, Ben, there's no way I can go this weekend. I've got too much going on. Well, could you give a little bit so we could buy some more food? Or maybe you've got some time on Friday or Saturday. Register today and come because this is what we're doing. This is what it's all about. It's about meeting physical needs and earning the right to speak the gospel into people's lives. Well, I'll tell you what, I'm glad that Jesus came my way as a six-year-old boy on 1500 Drive, Campbell, North Carolina. As I was laying in my bed, uh, scared to death of eternity, Jesus came my way and he saved me. And you know what? Everyone in here who's saved, Jesus came your way the same way. Just like he did the woman at the well. He didn't say, hey, you come to me. No, 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 Jesus came to you. Jesus came your way and said, hey, I know you're hopeless. I know you're distraught. I know you're in need. Hey, I've got some water. And if you'll drink this water, you'll never thirst again. Let's pray.